Father, we want to thank you for Jesus this morning. Thank you for your precious and uh, well, powerful presence in the midst of your people. That you might be glorified. That you might be manifested through us, the dying generation. Help us to understand what it is that we need to know at this point in time in our lives. Let it be a word in season, a word that remains in our hearts. We can use in the days ahead. We thank you for that living word that will operate even this morning to each one of our souls and spirits and even into our bodies. Bless your holy name and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The title the title of my message this morning is called The Point of No Return. The Point of No Return. We've got to understand that in life there is a point of no return. No matter what you do, no matter how much you Trying to change things, it can, cannot be changed. That's called the point of no return. It's a place, it's a moment in time that will decide how then you take the next step or the many steps after that. Such a time came to the earth when Jesus appeared on the earth. Why 4,000 years after creation? I don't know. But he did come. And when he came, it became the point of no return. The Jews could not go back to what they knew. The world had to accept what God had brought into play. It was a point of no return. Either mankind accepts God's answer to the world or dies and goes to hell. That's the point of no return. Why do we preach the gospel? Because we understand that when you or I die or someone dies, it's the point of no return. Unless God decides to raise that person from the dead so that they can receive the Lord and then die again. But death is a point of no return. So we must consider how we are positioned at this time. And what it is that these moments in our lifetime do and how they affect our daily life. And how they then change what happens further down the track. Not only for us, but for others. The day that the world changed to the point of no return in 2020 was sometime in March when COVID-19 came in. And took over the entire world. That what it brought was a point of no return. You cannot 
go back to the old way of life, the old way of thinking, your old religiosity, your understanding of God. You have to come into what God has prepared post-COVID. Though there have been many prophecies about it, though there have been many indications about it, even in the secular, nobody was prepared for what it did. And now governments reacted. So we need to understand that we as a people today, in, at this point in time, need to know what God's will is for us so that we make the right decisions in life and go into the prepared plan of God rather than keep hitting points of no return. There was a moment after Christ came, died and rose again when he sent the Holy Spirit. That was a point of no return for the church. I mean, for the people at the time. The church was birthed at the time. And uh, life as the Jews knew it, and the world knew it changed because the Holy Spirit was manifest in ordinary human beings, and then changed the way things would work from then on, as far as God was concerned. So any attempt to do anything else would fall into the ground of failure. And today, because of that day of Pentecost, many in the church are struggling with the idea of the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, who is God. And what it is that He is doing with us, in us, and through us. So much so there's a huge division happening in the church and has been from the day of Pentecost. It's only getting wider now and COVID-19 has brought to the forefront that division. So much so that there is theologies, there are theologies and doctrines and all manners of understanding about what the Bible says and you know uh, people are following and practicing their faith based on that. I don't have an issue with it, except that in my own life, each moment I am challenged by God to come to a place of no return. And the reason that happens is because God is progressing me and you into what He has prepared so that we don't go back to an old way of thinking, or old way of understanding, even if we have established faith and doctrines and theologies. Even if they have produced results. You can't say that the temple of God in the times of the Jews didn't produce results. It didn't. It kept the people of God through the sacrifices, through the law, to the point that God allowed it. He didn't alienate his people because of the law. He allowed it to go on for some time, till such time he was ready to send Jesus and pour out the Holy Spirit and change the entire 
concept of how man would relate to God. He's doing it again. If you have not noticed it, I want to tell you, he's doing it again. And if you are going to be stuck in your old ways, your doctrines, your theologies, and your understanding, you are not going to receive what God is pouring out from heaven at this point in time. And he's only using little things that the world is afraid of to change their viewpoint on how proud they are or how infallible they think they are or how perfect they are. And he's using something as silly as a virus to destroy their empires and their governments and their economies and their way of thinking. He's reducing man and his pride down to a fear of a virus that they cannot see. Whereas he has given us Jesus with a clarity, with an understanding of an experience. It's an experiential relationship with Christ through his word that is constantly manifest in our life if we allow it. There is a daily conversation that can take place between us and God, moment by moment, without the hindrances of what happened in the past or what is happening around us in the present or what may possibly happen in the future. So when I gave my life to Christ, I decided to learn and understand what God himself was giving to me that would then alienate me from what is around me in the world, even to the point of family relationships. So much so that when I made a decision to follow Christ, I had to leave my family. I had to leave the world behind. I had to leave the things that I once knew, my education. I had to leave behind my bank balance. It was the point of no return. It was an offer. I had to make a decision. God said, you are going to take up your cross and follow me. Sell all your things. It was a point of, of, of no return for that rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, how do I be saved? He had the law. He had the, 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 the workings of the law in his life. He was fulfilling the law to, to whatever extent he could. And Jesus commended him on that. But he said, now I'm offering you a point of no return. To your riches, to your law, to everything you knew, your doctrines, your theologies, and take up your cross and follow me. Wow. <laughs> when is that going to happen to you? When is that going to happen to me? I think that God is consistently speaking and telling us things, but we are not listening. The church has not listened all the all this while to many, many, many things. Some have, some haven't, mostly haven't. As a result, we have a church worldwide that is ineffective, weak, and impotent to do much. So those who have pushed beyond in the understanding of God are able to go into the realm of the Spirit and receive from God what is of God and change what is on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit in them. 
and the word of God operating in them. Because they have laid down their lives. They've not taken on an add-on of God or an add-on of gifts and talents and said, okay, I will take this and I will use it and then I will mix myself with the world as well. No, they laid everything down. The disciples laid everything down. And the only thing they took up was the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to which was attached the cross. And they went around preaching the gospel, doing whatever they had to do because they knew that the time had come that God was going to bring about a point of no return. So one day Peter was up on his roof, you know, uh, trying to pray and he fell into a trance and he saw uh, a vision that God revealed to him that he had to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And for the first time, the first time in the history of the Jews and the world, God was making himself available to every single soul on the earth. Whereas before that he wasn't. And Peter was chosen to take this message to the Gentiles. He walked with it, he got scared. Because he knew that once he crossed the line of Jewish culture, of Jewish tradition, of Jewish understanding of their relationship with God, once he crossed that line, there was no returning. He would be ostracized. But the Holy Spirit said, this is of me, oh. And when he did, the Gentiles received the gospel. And we don't say. I'm afraid that the church today, worldwide, have lost the understanding of the three fundamentals of faith. The three fundamentals of faith are you have to be born again, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by recognizing your sin, confessing your sin, and repenting of it. Believing that He did die on the cross for your sins and covered you and gave you freedom from sin and death. Born again. The next thing was water baptism. You must be water baptized. If you have the opportunity before you die, you must be water baptized. If you haven't been water baptized, come and see me and I'll baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then the third thing was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. An endowment from heaven that even the disciples didn't have till the day that Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit. He said, go and wait in Jerusalem for power from on high. They had received Christ and accepted that he was the Messiah. They had been water baptized, but they had not received the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, you will receive the Holy Spirit when I send him to you. It was again a point of no return. You see, in the Muslim tradition, they don't worry too much about you if you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They, they say you'll get over it. But the moment you take water baptism, they want to kill you. Or they want to destroy your faith or do something. Because they know that's a point of no return. So we have to understand that when we commit ourselves to God and when we speak to Him in prayer or even in conversation and we make a covenant with Him, 
Please understand this. If you give me this, I will become your servant. Or I will do this. Right? Or that. What do you say? If you make that covenant with him at any given moment in your life, it's a point of no return because he'll take you for your word and that's it. He won't back off from it. And then, if you don't fulfill your commitment to him, things go bad. Things don't work out. Your life deviates. You go in another direction. You may think that you are on the path to God, but you're not. Because you did not keep the covenant. Just like the Jews did not keep the covenant, they lost their way. Took many, 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 many years and is still today being preached to them and they're still unable to accept the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews it tells us that they did not mix the gospel with faith. So that's why I say the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel can be preached in any way, but if it is preached without faith and love, it's useless. It's pointless. It achieves nothing. So the point of no return can be a corporate scenario and it can be an individual scenario. That means it can be a place where you come to in your life. One of the most uh, dramatic scenarios in the Bible shown to us the point of no return was Lord's wife. Lord's wife was told very specifically not to turn back and look. And she, she disobeyed and she turned and looked and that was the point of no return. She became a criminal. So there are decisions in life that we take that can, you know, actually cause death to us. He says about communion. You take communion without the proper attitude and the reverence and many of you die because of it. So we need to understand that all of life is shaped by the decisions we make. People often ask me, why, why do things go wrong? Why do negative things happen in my life? And I try to sit there and try to explain to them that a lot of it has come about by their own decision. Yes, there are demonic involvements along the way, but the demonic involvements are there for you to make a wrong decision that is contrary to the word of God and contrary to your well-being. That's why they come. That's why they come to influence you. Because they want to see you hurt and suffer and die. That's the aim. You can end up marrying the wrong person, for example. <laughs> wrong decision. But then that was the point of no return because the Bible says that you cannot divorce, that you are married. You should not divorce. It's not acceptable in the sight of it's a, it's a traumatic experience. It's a traumatic thought to think that, you know, you are going to go through a divorce, that you, you have been married for 25, 30 years, whatever years you were married for, and now this whole thing is breaking down. Perhaps 25 years ago, you made the wrong decision. You did not hear God. I know it happened in my life. And it nearly happened when I was a bachelor looking for a wife. And I nearly made the mistake again. 
And, and, and God told me, son, you're making the wrong decision. I didn't want to listen because my desire, my want, my, my feelings were greater. I said, no, I'm waiting upon you for 10 years and you have not answered me, so I'm going to make the decision. He said, okay, go ahead. But you know, he's gracious. He's kind, he's loving. He cares for us. So he didn't allow me to make that decision because he showed it to me that I was making a wrong decision. Why do negative things happen in our lives? Because of our decisions. The decisions we take set off a chain of events in us that we cannot control. This happens every day. It happens in the secular, it happens in the spiritual. Secular, secular decisions or worldly decisions can be changed because we are human, we change our minds often, right? And we change it for better or for worse, so we can change our minds. We convince ourselves and we say, oh no, we change, change our mind. I want to do something else. But again, that decision sets off a whole chain of other events in our lives that are not necessarily acceptable in the sight of God. But when God makes a decision, it cannot be changed. If He makes a decision on your behalf, it cannot be changed. Unless you give it up or die. So, when John 15, 16 became my encounter passage, it says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And that settles the matter. Okay, that settles the matter as far as God is concerned. What are you going to do about it? Well, you can reject it. You can say, no God, I, I don't care whether you chose me, I don't want to be a part. See, we meet people on the street, we tell them, God loves you. But how, how often do we tell them God chose you? We don't know, right? We, so we generalize, we make it generic and we say God loves you. But if you were listening to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit might say to you, that person is chosen by me. You know, I read a passage today where the Lord said, I chose you out of this world. Wow. He said, the others don't know, but I chose you out of this world. Well, that, that makes me feel very, very, very blessed. Right? I said, wow, God, why would you choose me? Because I know inside of me I'm a dirty rotten scoundrel and I don't have anything good in me. So once God said that to me and said, I've chosen you and I've ordained you to go and bring forth food, food that shall remain, I could not turn back. Because one of the things that, that happened is that in my desire to serve God, in my desire to follow after Him, and my hunger and thirst after my born again experience, that thing was burning within me. I came to a point in my relationship with God that I said to God, I must know what your will is for my life now. And the answer came. John 15, 16. That was the commission words. That's where my ministry started. I had an encounter with Jesus. He walked into my house. He laid his hand upon my head. 
and commissioned me and said, go. So the natural kicks in at that point in time, and you wonder about money, you wonder about house, you wonder about family, you wonder about this, that, the other, whether you're even making the right decision. Because the enemy will come along and take that seed out of you, irrespective of the fact that you've had a physical, spiritual encounter with Christ. So what becomes important in your walk after that is not the encounter so much as it is the Word of God. Because that's the seed that will keep you alive. Because every time you come to a crossroads in your journey of acceptance of what God spoke in your life, you will be faced with satanic involvement against you. To stop your journey. Sending all sorts of things. So let, I'm going to just give you quickly three scenarios from the Bible. And we'll just look at it. The first one, which is, I bought this issue that could not be changed. The Jews who were released from Egypt. The Bible says that God heard the cries of his people and saw the afflictions. He heard and he saw the hope. Okay? Now, he had already prophesied in Abraham that they would be in bondage for 400 years. There was an uh, underlying motive behind that was to create a nation in bondage and release them as a people under God so that they could serve God and be the icon of God's very presence upon the earth. Now, take this into consideration. The Jews who were in bondage were praying. Now, how many of you are praying? Asking God something. And now you might be in great difficulty, you might be in great problems, or you may not. You might just be saying to God, God, I'm hungry and thirsty for you, I want more of you, or whatever. You know, I want to serve you, whatever. Okay? And you're crying out to God because you are afflicted by this burden. Now, God hears you. In fact, the Bible says, He hears you. And he also sees. Okay, you think you're the only one in the darkness. No, no, no. He sees and he's there. Okay, now he comes with an answer just like he did with the Jews. He sends Moses and he says, Moses, go and deliver my people. Now this guy is shaking in his boat because he's just left Egypt. Right? Now he's saying, ah, I can't stand what he Excuse. Now you go back. You go back and release my people. You knew that I told you before, and you went about trying to deliver my people the wrong way without asking me, and you murdered a man. How many of us have made mistakes like that? We've made it murder the very baby that God gave us many, many years ago. We aborted it. We threw the seed to the wayside, so the devil took it. Abortion. God is that gift, God is that destiny, God is that mantle upon your life. So God says, okay, I'm going to deliver you, you pray, 
and praying in Africa, sending Moses in coming down, and they cross over into the wilderness, of course, they started complaining. They come to the Red Sea, and they cross over the Red Sea under some very dramatic conditions. The point of no return. You know what God said to the Jews? After he had knocked off all the Egyptians, he said, you will never see them again. <laughs> You're listening to me this morning. You will never see your enemies again. The ones that came and destroyed your past. The ones that came and kept you in bondage. The ones that told you lies about God and said, Oh, you're condemned, you're going to hell, blah, blah, blah. Oh, how they meddle around with my mind. One of the greatest fears that I had was death. And Jesus says in Hebrews that he came to deliver the people who are always in bondage to death. Are you afraid of dying? <laughs> I think quite a few people are who are Christians, afraid of dying. No, you should be more afraid of not fulfilling your destiny than of dying. So we need to understand that the Red Sea, that once God delivers us, and then we cross over, which is the born again experience. Okay? It's done. It's a done deal. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who now walk in the spirit. It's over, it's finished. It's only the enemy who is reminding you that the Egyptian is still around. He's not, he's gone. So in our lives, wildernesses must be faced. And there will be many along the way. And they could be because of the decisions we take, or they could be because it's a God decision. You know, oftentimes I pray and I say, Lord, I'm hungry and thirsty for you and I want to go to the next level of faith. Can you please take me? And you know what happens? The first thing that happens is I go into a wilderness. And I lose sight of everything that I knew about God. I lose sight of how to even function till I come to that place where I understand that it is my total dependence in the wilderness. Now the Jews would all have died in the wilderness had he not provided the manna from heaven, the pillar of cloud by day to protect them from the sun, and the pillar of fire by night to keep them warm. They would have died. The temperatures in the desert reached some incredible heights in the daytime and then drop to incredible lows in the nighttime. So imagine what your body is going through. See, many of us are like the graph of an ECG. Our lives are like that. One day we're thinking positive, next day we're thinking negative, then we're positive again, then negative, and then we're confused and we don't know what's going on. But there's a flat line and it's written up there for you. What's it for? Jesus Christ is saying yesterday, today, for ever. He's the flat line. We forget about him and we're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's what the Jews did in the wilderness. And he says, listen, I'm not taking you back to Egypt, even if you beg me. Because I've got a plan for you. I'm taking you forward. So move forward prophetically because 
by the grace and power of God, you can fulfill your destiny of what God said and don't try to go back to Egypt. So the second one is our faith decisions at this point of no return. Okay, this is very important to understand because this is where faith really means faith. It really means faith. So here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are being challenged by the king and saying that you must deny God, you should not worship him anymore, and if you do, we'll put you in the fire. And they said, sorry man, we're going to believe God, we don't care two hoots about what you're going to say, but we are very concerned about our relationship with God, and whether, listen to this, whether he delivers us or not, now, how many of us have reached the point where we have said that? I don't think many of us have. When sickness hits, poverty hits, when some problem comes, when challenges come our way, we don't have a job, we can't provide for our family, something else happens, you know, that is really drastic and, and it requires us to make a faith decision. Not only is the devil attacking us, but everyone who knows about our problems is telling us 20 different things and we don't know which one to listen to. So we've got to dig deep, we've got to go into ourselves where the Holy Spirit lives and where the Word resides, right? I don't have to hear every time from God a word before I make a faith decision because the Word of God is already living in me and He came in there by faith. He came in there by faith. Everything that I have within me is by faith. So I make a faith decision. I say, well, God delivers me or not. Right? It doesn't matter. I will not bow down to you, devil, and I will not worship you, and I will not go back into the world or try to find a worldly solution. I will trust my God. Believe me, you think COVID-19 is hot? It's going to get hotter. Okay, they said, oh, you dirty rotten scoundrels, we're going to make the fire seven times hotter for you, just for you. So they did. And so the devil said, oh, you think you can get through COVID-19 without any problem? I'm going to sort it out for you. I'm going to put something heavy on you. Well, whether God delivers us or not, who cares? Daniel in the lion's den, I mean, he was a daughter. He didn't care. He opened his window as usual and prayed. If the government tells you you can't pray, you're going to stop praying. You can't have more than you can't read about it. They do it in Saudi Arabia, you can't. You just can't. The moment they find you with the Bible, or you are having worship, or you're singing to God, or whatever, and your neighbor complains, there you are gone. You're in prison, in chains. I know it, you know. Countless testimonies because my friend was a minister there. They have thousands of churches that are underground churches that are willing to worship God in an environment that says you cannot worship God. The true God. You can worship any other God except the true God. And those days are coming. The seven times God of fire are coming. 
Nobody thought that in America that they would burn churches and the Bible. And, and you know, I was listening to a politician yesterday, Candice Owen. Go and listen to her. She's really good. You know, and she said that day, the day you attack the church, she said that is the beginning of the demise of America. Oh, don't touch the beloved of the Lord. The apple of his eye. The darling of heaven. Don't you touch him. Because he will get sorted out. Very, very, very quickly. Apostle Saul, you know, trying to attack the church. He had a legalistic understanding of God. And he got the oracles and the temple and all this sort of stuff. And he went, oh, give me the letters. I'm going to go and destroy the church. On the road to Damascus, he got knocked off his donkey. And there's some question about whether it was an ass or a donkey or whether he fell on his head or his back. Who cares? The thing is, he fell. The thing is, he got knocked down. How many of us have come to a point where the devil has knocked us down? And then we prayed up to the Lord. Just that the Lord knocked him down and said, Son, you're persecuting me. Well, he became the friend of the church and one of the greatest apostles that ever lived. You know, we are living in a time when they are going to persecute the church. They have designed it already. It's been there for thousands of years. It's now coming to fruition. The governments of the world are setting it up so that the Antichrist can come in freely and easily. The anti-conversion law is coming into India. And this particular government in India has been in charge for many, many, many years. They're totally Hindu government. They're talking about 1.4 billion who will come under the covering of Hinduism without the option of worshipping God. So I was talking to my cousin in India and I said, this is coming. He said, no, no. And I said, the, the day is coming when they hear your singing in the house unto God praises that they will report to you. He said, they're already doing it. They're already doing it. So this one world religion concept is going to come in. And it's going to say, yes, we can allow you to worship God provided you follow the one world religion. Which will have nothing to do with the living God. It will have to do with everything that is false and not the living God. The Hebrews are 11 characters. If you go and read that, please read that often because that will help you get through the times. You will find that they all made decisions, fake decisions, that were point of no return. And the Bible says they were sown asunder. They were thrown with the lions. They were but uh, they were done all sorts of things done to them because they said we will not deny Jesus. We will not, no matter what you do to us. The point of no return. Are you going to stand? You see, if you tweak your answer, again, and we're good at it. If we tweak our answer, it will not be the truth. If someone asks you point blankly on the street, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And you start looking around as to who is listening. Because you might get taken away. 
you're gone. You've just tweaked your words. Those are the days that are coming. Even as far as Australia is from the rest of the world, it's coming. Because it'll come from within. It won't necessarily come from without. There are already small parties that have become majorities and their voices are louder than the majority and they are making their statements and saying, we demand our rights. So the church is left powerless because the church is not demanding its right by faith and saying, we are the church, we will not bow down to you, you will not tell us what to do. Acceptance 
of that decision by God. We don't go with our plans to God and say, no, you order this. No, God comes to us with his plans and he says, you order this. He said, but that's not my plan. It's not going to take me down the path of marriage. It's not going to take me down the path of success in life. I'm not going to be a great businessman or I'm not going to have great money. He said, I don't care too who's about all that. You follow my plan. Because my plans towards you are good and not even to bring you to an expected end. But if you go your own way, you're going to come to an unexpected end. And many thousands of churches around the world have, and individuals have, and they've gone to the wayside because they did not listen to God. Do you know we've had three temples so far? One in the wilderness and two in the country of Israel. Where are they today? They're trying to build the fourth one, an edifice to God. When God has already placed the temple within our hearts and we are the temple of the living God, and he's telling you, listen, I am living in you. I'm not living in a building for heaven's sake. Wake up. Amen. But they won't because they have to repeat this thing. They have to do what is being prophesied. And they will. And that's where the separation will come. When you see someone constantly heading down the direction of a donkey, with a donkey's mind, you know they cannot be changed. That's the point of no return for them. Because nothing means anything to them that even God would say. Don't throw your pearls before swine. That's the turn and bring you. Can discernment from the Holy Spirit and say, when do I stop? Because you're taking the seed of God and you're throwing it on the ground. And God doesn't like it. He killed a man who was having a relationship with his wife because he spilled his seed on the ground. He didn't want to bring a child out of his brother's wife who he was responsible for. Forget his name, but he was spilling his seed on the ground. God killed him. This is precious life, friends. Life that was made by God. You are a precious life made by God. Don't spill your seed on the ground. God is going to keep you accountable for everything you say and do and what you think you know. Alienate your mind from that. Come into the place where you understand that once you give your life to Jesus, there's no turning back. Once you put your hand to the plow, there's no turning back. Paul often writes about it in the Bible. And it says it's better to enter into heaven with an arm missing or a leg missing or an eye missing than not to enter in at all. Right? So don't walk out the way. And then turn back and say, oh, there's no Jesus, or he doesn't care for me, or he doesn't love me. And there are countless thousands of people who have done it around the world. Because for them, there is no encounter with Jesus. They have not met Jesus. They have an idea, a form of godliness. They think, oh, church is Jesus. Or they think a relationship with another person who's a Christian is Jesus. No, 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 no. The relationship with Christ individually, personally, knowing him and understanding him for yourself, not creating something out of this book. That's where you get caught. 
because the Holy Spirit, he said, I will send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he, listen to this, he will tell you of the things that I have spoken. He will not speak of himself. He will speak of me. Yes, this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So if the book was inspired by the Holy Spirit, don't you think he can tell us the meaning of it? We need to listen to the last days. Because there have been some who accepted Christ and turned their heart back. One classic example was Judas. He hit the point of no return. Because his love for money, his love for the world was greater. And he saw so many wonderful miracles that Jesus did. He walked with Jesus. He heard the proof. Beautiful, gracious words of Jesus. The promises of heaven. The kingdom of God. He could have been a treasurer out there. But he wanted to be a treasurer down here. And he sought after money. And for 30 pieces of silver, he sold out Jesus, the living God. What are we selling God out for? Huh? What are we selling God out for? Fear, money, sex, drugs, alcohol, anger, unforgiveness, frustrations, resentment. No, 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 I want those things. I don't want, but God says, no, love your neighbor as yourself. No, I can't do that. They have hurt me, they have offended me, they have raped me, they have done bad things to me. He said, I don't know about all that. But if you forgive, then I will forgive you. And you will be in eternity with me. And the joys of eternity are far greater than the sufferings of a temporary life. It's better to enter into heaven. Having lost a hand or an eye or a leg. All your pride, all your offense, all your unwillingness. That every time God speaks to you, you say, yeah, I won't let go because I'll keep you there as an add on. You can be the voice in my head, but I don't really care. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to advance. And because if I do, I know that I will cross the point of no return, and I don't want to cross that point of no return. But it is in crossing the point of no return that the greatest blessings are. Every day we are challenged. The point has come now, we have, we have turned on the page. There is no return. Now you can make it a two-week journey or you can make it a 40-year journey just like the Jews. It's only a short time. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. When you get up to heaven, you'll discover that your life on this earth was just a whisper. And we struggle to wait. We all did. We all have. Some of us, because of the decisions we took, that took us to the point of no return and we went the wrong way, instead of taking the right decisions and going the right way. And every time you take a step after that, is going in the right way, but there'll always be a point of no return. You know, there's something called a non-return valve in plumbing. Do you know what it does? It stops the water from flowing back. 
what does that mean? It means that if you keep going back, you will lose the Holy Spirit. The water, the living water. One day I, would, I went to a, a video shop and walking up and down in real sort of a confused mind looking for a video. I kept passing this video and, and, and I heard this voice say, take that video. So I finally grabbed it after half an hour of trying to take the video. I got frustrated and I grabbed that video and took it home and I put it on. And within 15 minutes of watching that video, it was just some action, pop action movie. I put it on and within 15 minutes of watching that video, the Holy Spirit came out of me. Physically, the physical person of the Holy Spirit came out of me. And when it stood in the corner of the room, and I knew I was a dead man. I knew I was a dead man. So I repented the whole night. You know, Samson was given a beautiful bed. It says that he disobeyed God and told the secret of his success. We hit the point of no return. The Holy Spirit left him. And the words, one of the saddest verses in the Bible, it says that he did not know that the Holy Spirit had left him. In King James Version, it says he wished not. He wished not. That means he had no idea. He had no idea. Many, many Christians are like that today. They have no idea that they're not walking with God. They have no idea that they're not going to make it into heaven. They have no idea of why the things that are happening to them are happening to them because the Holy Spirit has left them by their decisions to grieve it. Every day we want to listen. He says, if you have a ear, listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. And we think, oh, that's the corporate church. No, you are the church. You are the individual church. He's talking to you. You don't want to hear it. When Isaac wants to get gets corrected, he takes both his hands and puts it on his ear. I don't want to hear it. But he often hits the point of no return. And then something has to happen. So if there is no turning back in Christianity, if there's no turning back in God, what will we do? Let's finish by reading the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark 
for the prize of the high calling of God in the Christ Jesus. And before that he said that he considered all his achievements in life as nothing. And came to the point where he said, if I don't go forward, I'm not pressing in the mark of the prize what are you pressing in for? A better salary, more money, more better job, better this, better that. When King David was out there in the wilderness, he said this. He said, I am desperate. I am desperate for your presence in the sanctuary like I used to know it. Maybe some of us have backslidden. We don't feel comfortable with God anymore. We have lost our first love. We have lost the purpose for which we are here upon the earth. And one time you had a honeymoon experience with Christ. And now it's not so honeymooning. Because life has, you know, somehow uh, pressurized you into believing something else and doing something else. You need to get back on the track. What is it going to cost you? The point of no return. A decision. That's the point of no return. Lord, from today, I abandon myself to you. I let go of everything. I don't care what happens because I know you'll take care of me. And then from today, you will give me the revelation that I need to walk with you every day of my life through all the chaos and confusion of this world. And no matter what happens, I will not take my eyes off it. We need to make a decision. We took a decision a long time ago in this church. That we will serve the Lord, we will follow Him. But one of the things that God instigated in us when COVID-19 came, completely out of the ballpark was that God called me to call for prayer. And you know, about 10 to 12 people came on. Consistently, we've been praying since March. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday for the first month to 45 days. Then I said, no, it's too much because you're not even getting one day off, which may be needed for the family. So I reduced it down Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on weekend. Just one hour of prayer. You know, that has changed everything in the realm of the spirit. A decision. Now there are about 10 faithful people who come to pray. And we have been blessed financially, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And in every other way, we have seen things we haven't seen before. Because this is hard ground. And you've got to make up your mind. There are people leaving the church, going away, because they can't stay any longer. It's not the only place, it's happening all over the world. A friend in Malaysia said to me, when they were 200, now they're 72. They don't want to come, they don't want to come for meetings, they don't want to come for anything, because they're not interested anymore. 
because they can watch it on video. They can, you know, somehow satisfy their spiritual religiosity or religious uh, need by watching it on video. But there's no real challenge. There's no real change in the person's life. I am not sharpening iron. People are leaving the church for the most absurd of reasons. They've been telling me. The most, and they tell it to me to my face. And they think that I understand or should understand. How ridiculous. Somebody left because they got, a, got themselves a dog. They got themselves a puppy dog and they said, we can't come to church anymore. They took a decision. Come on. Are you real? Joshua said this. I don't know about you guys, but as for me and my house, we will serve Father God, thank you for an opportunity to preach your word again in fellowship with like-minded people. We want to press forward to the mark the prize of high calling in God. Help us strengthen our faith. Give us the spirits of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. And cause us to go forward that we will never turn back or look back, but we will see the prophetic as you have revealed it to us. And we will know that we know that you are with us. Guide us, guide us, and lead us in the days ahead, especially all our family members, that they will come to know you, Lord, and pray for them especially. And if anybody is living in doubt or fear or unbelief or not even, does not even know you, Lord, ask that you would move in a way that would work to bring them into salvation. We commend them in your hand and ourselves and we thank you for who you are to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer this morning for whatever reason, healing, deliverance you need, to confess something to the Lord, and you need an affirmation, a standing together, in the body and come forward and you will drink.